Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Kings chapter 10. Um, First Kings chapter 10. My desire is at the end, try to leave some time for some, maybe some questions from our Bible reading, but I thought that uh, sometimes I can get bogged down and the next thing you know, I'm here five or ten minutes over and I, uh, so I'd like to get to First Kings chapter 10 and then whatever time we have left over at the end, we'll look at that. We've been looking at the famous and the infamous in Scripture, we've been going through all these character studies, we've been doing this for quite a while, and looking at different men and women, we even looked at some couples looked at some ones that are in there for good things and ones that are in there for bad things and we've just been looking at the examples and models they are for us and what they can teach us and and what they can show us. So tonight we are on the character of Queen of Sheba. Now Lord willing next Sunday we're going to be on the character of Onesimus. That's going to be in the New Testament but tonight we're going to be talking about the Queen of Sheba. So every single time we've come to this it's the same thing. Some of you already have my memory. We ask, who were they? We ask, why do we know them? And then we ask, what lessons do they teach us? So, I think, because this is a this is one of those ones that's been requested, I think it was requested to see just how long we can talk about three verses, is what I, is what I think, is what I think the angle was. So, you're in 1 Kings chapter 10. If you are looking for a parallel version of this, you could look at 2 Chronicles chapter 9. Verses 1 through 12, it's the same story, um, just there's a parallel. So if you think about it, you've got First uh, and Second Samuel is roughly First Kings, and then you have First and Second Chronicles. Now, First and Second Samuel is First Chronicles. First and Second Kings is Second Chronicles. So if you think about it, there is some parallelism that goes through there. So if you just think, well, how does it said from a different perspective? You can go through there, and it will show you um, kind of a different take. Really, nothing different. But if you see somebody's talking about the Queen of Sheba from Second Chronicles nine, they're not talking about a different Sheba. They're not talking about a different story. It's just a parallel story. You see the same sort of things when you get to the Gospels. Some gospels, some stories are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some stories are in all four of them. So here in the Queen of Sheba, you have First Second Samuel's. That's First Chronicles. First Second Kings is Second Chronicles, and that's why we're at we're at. So. Queen of Sheba. Who was she? What do we know about her? Biographically. Give me, give me some factual data about her. What do we know? What? She's from Sheba. She's from Sheba. Okay, thank you. So there's really only two things that I know of that we can talk about, and you got 50%. Alright, so Sheba. So we know she's the queen of Sheba. Where is Sheba? Yemen. Yemen. Okay? Anybody have a Bible that says something different? Or does everybody just assume it's Yemen? 
Are you sure? Okay. Where is Yemen? First Kings. Where is Yemen? Does, I mean, don't tell me it's a country. I mean, where do, does anybody? Can anybody geographically describe for me where Yemen is at? Middle East. Middle East. Middle East. Okay. The what? Arabian Peninsula. The Arabian Peninsula. So uh, north of Yemen would be what? <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, that's right. So the Yemen, the country Yemen, borders on the Gulf of Aden, right? Because you got the Indian Ocean, and then you got the Gulf of Aden, and then the Arabian Ocean, or the Arabian, the Indian Ocean. It was Indian Ocean when I was growing up. But now Google Earth said it's the Arabian Ocean. But you got the Indian Ocean, and then you got the Gulf of Aden, and then the Gulf of... Well, I'm, I'm doing this backwards, I'm sorry. So you got the Indian Ocean, and then you got the Gulf of Aden, and then you come up here, you get to the Red Sea. And so you got Saudi Arabia, if you think about just as a country, on the south side, on the lower peninsula, is uh, the country of Yemen. Okay, so one um, theory out there is that she was from Yemen, that Sheba was a region of Yemen. Anybody else see anything that gives you a different theory? So Josephus, does anybody remember that name? So Josephus was a Jewish historian that wrote historically around the time of Jesus. And most of his historic writings are in a book entitled Antiquities. And so sometimes um, his writings are not inspired. They are not inerrant. They are not the word of God. But sometimes you can look at extra biblical sources. So, in the book of Antiquities, written by Joseph, or written by Josephus, not Bocephus, Josephus, written by him, in that book he referenced and alludes to that the Queen of Sheba is actually Egyptian or even possibly Ethiopian. The way that he backs that up is that he references a Ethiopian tradition, and the book that carries that tradition is called the Kebra. Nagast, and in that Ethiopian tradition, it implies that the Queen of Sheba was actually from Egypt. She goes up to Solomon, and we'll see here in a few moments. They decide to have a kid together. That kid they then name Menelik the first. And then she comes down to what is modern-day Ethiopia, and they began. He is the founder of the Ethiopian dynasty. I don't. I, I wasn't around. I, I don't know. But if you think about geographically, you would have the uh, Indian Ocean right there. You would have Yemen. Okay, Yemen's right here. The Gulf of Aden goes up to the Red Sea. On the other side of the Gulf of Aden would be Djibouti, which some of you may know um, service members right now from Oklahoma that are in Djibouti. And then going on the other side to the west of Djibouti is where the country of, country, the country of Ethiopia is at. So they're similar if you think about on a horizontal plain, they're similar, but they're separated by that Red Sea, that Gulf of Aden, if you will. So, Josephus implies that maybe she was from Egypt, but then she settled down in Ethiopia, and it was her lineage that then started the Ethiopian dynasty. I don't know. 
I don't know. I just had to find f- five minutes to b- fill in some time there. Okay? So, I- I- I'm not really sure. So, possibly she was from Yemen. Possibly she was from Egypt, Ethiopia. Anything else you know about Sheba? Okay? What else do we know about her? So, we got 50%. She was from Sheba. What else do we know about her? She was, she was a queen. A queen of what? Sheba. Okay. Do we know the king? Okay. Do we know the children? Nothing. 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 So I, I spent my due diligence and you will find references in some of the Old Testament prophets talking about the land of the south of Sheba. Um, but... I could not find anywhere where it gives us any more information about the Queen of Sheba apart from, uh, well, I I should say three things. She was a woman, and she was a queen, and she was from Sheba. Now, where Sheba's at could be a little bit of a toss-up. So, was she supposed to be very beautiful? Well, so you have all kinds of traditional thoughts I did not find anything textual from the Bible that alluded to her appearance. I didn't, I didn't find anything. Now, she might have been. I, I don't know. But sometimes you get in there and you have folklore. And you have you know what your Sunday school teacher always taught you versus what the... Sometimes they take liberties. So, um, I did not find anything from the text that said that. Okay, so then let's pivot. Why do we know about her? Why, do we, why are we talking about Queen of Sheba tonight? What do we know about her? Rich. She's rich. She came to Solomon seeking wisdom. That's right. So that's why you're in 1 Kings chapter 10. Because it says in verse 1, Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. So she traveled to see Solomon. Now, I did a little deal. Um, Because some of you care, some of you don't care. Um, Just thinking about how far she must have traveled. So I get on there and I plot a course. And if you go from Yemen to Jerusalem as the crow flies, it's about 1,250 miles. If you go down to Ethiopia, um, it's about 1,500 miles. Now to kind of put that in relationship, from Wellston to Yellowstone is 1,400 miles. So whether she is going from Ethiopia, whether she is going from Yemen, it's roughly about the same distance from here to Yellowstone, which some of you in the room have been to Yellowstone, and you know how long that was at 70 miles an hour. Can you imagine her being on foot and whether it is her land? graffiti feet or camel feet or horse feet or servant's feet still it wasn't like she got on the Lear and she flew up there. So you imagine she's making a trip of anywhere from 13 to 1500 miles to come see this guy. I think sometimes we can just pass over to the text because we don't accept or we don't we don't recognize and appreciate just what that means when it says there in verse 2 that she came to Jerusalem. It's not that she just walked across the street and knocked on the door and said, can I borrow a cup of sugar? It was a event. It was a life decision. She was making a trek. Even when you have Abraham 
And he is, uh, comes into the promised land, but then goes down to Egypt during the time of the famine. I mean, that trip wasn't the same. Or you plot out whenever Moses leaves Egypt and he goes down to uh, the west side of modern-day Saudi Arabia there in Midian. That's not even the same amount of distance. When you think about the Israelites leaving Egypt and going across the Red Sea and going down to the Egyptian Sinai Peninsula, that wasn't even the same distance. So you're thinking that there are days, weeks, months of traveling involved to get up there just to go see Him. And it says there in verse 2 that she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue. Well, she had to have a reason. What is a retinue? Entourage. Entourage? Entourage. Okay. Posse. Posse. Homies. Right? There we go. Right? Right? The other bangers? I mean, she kind of, she's not rolling into town empty-handed, right? Okay? So, it says that she showed up with a great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Do you all remember the Charleston Heston movie, Ten Commandments? So there's a scene towards the front of the movie where Charleston Heston has gone out, I'm sorry, Moses has gone out and he's, he's achieved a military victory. And he comes back in to present himself and to present what he got back to Pharaoh. And as he comes in and he says, this is a part of it. And here comes one wave of all these uh, animals and all these exotic stuff. And then here comes this second wave and a third wave and a fourth wave of he's showing all the spoils of the war that he had conquered and how he had brought it back to Pharaoh. Well, that's the imagery that goes through my mind when I think about her showing up and she's got peacocks and she's got monkeys and she's got elephants and she's obviously got camels and she's got a whole bunch of pepper and paprika and cayenne and garlic and minced onion. I mean, she has all that coming in with her and she shows up bringing great gifts to Solomon. And what does it say? She told him all that was on her mind and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, the clothing of his cup bearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. So we know her because she came to Solomon. She brought gifts. She asked him tough questions. She asked him difficult questions. Every question she asked him, he answered. Answered everything that she could imagine. And it says there in the text that she was left breathless. So what else do we know about her? Or why, why else do we know about her? So she shows up. And she has all this stuff to show off. Like, hey, look at me. Look what I've got. Look, look at everything that I've got with me. Then what she do next? Verse 10. <laughs> Gave 120 talents of gold and spices and very great stores and precious stones. They come no more of such abundance of spice, of Sabita, whatever her name is, gave to King Solomon. That's right. So once, once she asked all these questions, he answered all these questions. The last part of verse 5 says she was left breathless. And then in verse 10, she turns around and gives him, gives him all of these gifts. Now, does any of your Bibles do the do the does the 
translation work on the talents? Because it said, Miss Carol, you said 120 talents of gold. Mm-hmm. Right? So does any of your Bibles do the conversion? Four and a half tons. So let's can we convert that to pounds? Nine thousand. How do we know that? Just because the Bible says it? So a talent is roughly 75 pounds. Some of your Bibles at the front of the back will have a conversion chart. So a talent is roughly 75 pounds. So you all you all are right. It's 9,000 pounds of gold. Now here's the question that comes into my mind is you've got this young lady, good looking or not good looking, who knows? You got this young lady that they, her and her posse, her entourage, her retinue, she sounds bad. I mean her I don't want to, I don't even think retina, I think the other one. But you just you got her, they carry nine thousand pounds of gold. In addition to, it says there in verse 10, and uh, a great quantity of spices and precious stones. And it says there at the last part of verse 10, never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the Queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. So he's saying of all the things that he'd gotten a gifts, he had never gotten that much stuff before. So it's not just the 9,000 pounds of gold, but it's everything else. How do you transport that much stuff 1,400 miles to the north across the desert? Well, the question is, why? Why, why? What does she want? What is she doing? Wisdom. Well, seeking the wisdom, right? The wisdom. That that is implied, yeah. I mean, because she's asking a bunch of questions and she's wanting to learn. She's wanting to get gain insight. Of course, I would have loved to been a flying the you know flying the room, going, what is she asking? Right. What, 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 what is, you're not asking how AI you know, or chat GPT works. I mean, you're not asking him why gas is so expensive or where's the road graders. I mean, you're not asking those, you're not asking those kinds of questions. So I don't know. It just makes me wonder, like, what, what would it be? About the market? <laughs> Maybe the market? I don't know. She gave him the after he had told her about the wisdom. Sure. So it wasn't like he put a price on. Uh, but... It, <laughs> Mine says she heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Yes. So does that not imply that's what she, maybe I'm reading too much into that. That's what I think too, though. She's seeking the wisdom that he has about God. Sure. I I, I think that's fair. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I think that's fair. Where I get hung up as at is, okay, so let's say, let's say she's got elephants, which... It's kind of iffy considering that part of the Middle East. Um, yeah. no. If there's elephants there in the Saudi Arabia, um, I could see more over in Africa, but I, I don't. Maybe there are. However, you got an elephant. How much can you really pack on an elephant? Can you pack a thousand pounds on an elephant? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I don't have a lot of experience on packing elephants. I've been to the circus where three or four people rode an elephant, but I mean, I'm just thinking. Let's say you can put 500 pounds on an elephant. That's eighteen. Yeah. That's eighteen elephants. Yeah. Oof. Well, you gotta bring all the feed and yes, and things for the animals. It, it is a big undertaking. Well, Google right? says a fourteen thousand pound elephant, an African elephant, it can carry almost twenty thousand pounds. Twenty thousand? Wow. For how long? How far though? <laughs> it can carry twenty thousand pounds. Wow. Okay. Well, 
See, that shit shows my ignorance because I don't. That's crazy. That's that's awesome, but that's that's crazy. So you had one elephant carrying all the gold. Well, that just blows my whole imagination train out the window then. Well, but they still had to carry all the feed and all the spices and all that. An entourage. Okay. All right. Well, I, that's huh. Twenty. Wow. Wow. I need to get me an elephant. Okay. So. So you got in verse ten. All right. So we got in verse ten that she gave him all these gifts. All right. And then as a side note, what happens in verse eleven? It says it. I'm not. I'm not making it up. Hiram. Hiram shows back up. Now, who is Hiram? The fleet carried gold. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Hiram was one of the leading servants in King Solomon's court. And if you look back up in chapter 9 and verse 27, if you look back up there, it gives us a little bit of indication. So it says there that, uh, I'm, I'm going to, well, let me skip back down to chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, More of the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir brought from Ophir a very great amount of amalgam wood and precious stones. So, before we go up to chapter 9, let's think about this. So, where is Ophir? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Some some commentaries said that if you're looking at a map and you've got uh, Saudi Arabia and you have Yemen, they would... Um, they were theorizing that around over here on the other side of the Gulf of Aden, around where Djibouti's at, that that is where Ophir might have been at. I don't know. I, but obviously they went somewhere, and they went somewhere by ship. Why do we say that? Because if you look back up into chapter 9 and verse 26, right above there, it says King Solomon built a fleet of ships, which is near um, Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom, which is just on the southern tip. So if you go up the Red Sea, if you're looking at it geographically, you go up the Red Sea, the Red Sea then splits, and it splits the Sinai Peninsula. It looks like two uterus, uterus horns goes up, and the one on the west goes goes up and cuts Egypt and goes up to the Suez Canal. The other one cuts up and goes just to the southern tip of the border of Israel. And so what he's saying is, is that Solomon built a whole fleet of ships up here to then sail down that down the down the uterus horn and then get down here and uh, go go on down through the Red Sea and from the Red Sea they could reach all over in the world because of the fact that they had that. So it says in verse 26, they had that in the land of Edom and Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. (coughs) Verse 28, and they went to Ophir and they brought from there gold, 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. 420 talents. So she... Pretty Miss Queen Sheba, she gave him how many talents? 120. Hiram had already showed up and he had brought 420, which is pounds. Somebody do a conversion. How many pounds? 31,500. That's more than one elephant, I think. 
Okay? So Hiram shows up at the end of chapter 9, has 31,500 pounds of gold that shows up in one load. Now, my mind, my imagination, I'm like, so, like, what are we talking about here? I mean, I, 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 those are big numbers. So you take 31,500, that is 504,000 ounces. Anybody know what gold was trading for today on the stock market exchange? $50. How much? This morning it was at 2023. May may gone up a little bit. So I just used 2024 as as my number. That is over $1 billion that Hiram showed up and said, here you go, Mr. King. Here's some gold. here's, Here's what you got. So then she shows up. I mean, it's a great gift. I mean, you want to give me 9,000 pounds of gold? I'll I'll be happy to take it, and the church will give you a receipt. We we are more than happy. We are more than happy to receive that kind of a gift. But it's just when you're thinking about size and scale and who this guy was, it's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling. So we know in verse 11, it says back there in chapter 10 and verse 11, Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones. So we don't doesn't really give us an amount, but you just imagine you're King Solomon, and not only is she showing up giving you all kinds of stuff, and then you got you got your traders. They're just showing up and just bringing stuff hand over fist. What is that wood they're talking about? I don't know. It talks about later on what he did with it and how he used it to craft furniture in the house. But Almug, which is hard for me to enunciate, I'm not sure what Almug wood is. I talked to a missionary who was doing job for and he was talking about the Almug wood. And he, he got a piece of it. He said the trees are about 8 to 10 feet around. And he said they have to smuggle it across the border to sell it because it's such a high-end wood. But he got the whole circle done, four inches thick for a, one one whole circle, four inches thick for a table. Wow! Yeah. he said it cost him like twenty thousand. <laughs> wow. Gingle says it's a form of a variety of sandalwood. Okay. Variety of sandalwood. Does that help? Yes, sir. Maybe I missed something, but how can? Why are they bringing so much stuff? <laughs> well, so because he's got a lot of stuff to do with it. Oh, okay. So he builds this temple. If you read elsewhere in First Kings, he builds this temple, and he used quite a bit of it to build this temple. And he used, I mean, he used a lot of the metal and stuff like that. And then you can look. Um, uh, I'd have to go. But I think it's going to be First Kings, maybe seven or six minutes from that. But when he when he finishes building the temple, then he does these sacrifices. And I'd have to go back and look at it. And my other Bible, I have it underlined, but it talks about how many oxen and how many sheep that he used. Okay, so this is chapter 8 and verse 63, Matt. It says, Solomon offered as a peace offering to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. 
That's a lot of lambs. That's a lot. And that's not even what he used to feed the people. That's just an offering to show his gratitude and his worship of the Lord. So it says when he finishes building the temple, you can read that back there in chapter 8. He finishes building the temple and just as a gift. So like some of you all show up on a Sunday morning and you put an offering in the offering plate when it comes by as like an offering. That's what that is. An offering. Now you think about oxen. I mean oxen was just our version of cattle. 22,000 cattle. I don't think I've ever seen 22,000 cattle in one spot. I wouldn't have any idea what it even looks like. 120,000 sheep. I don't think that I've ever seen. Well, Matt, you also have to remember, he had 700 wives, and that ain't cheap to have. Especially come Valentine's Day. It's all the kids. I, all the kids. So, so I think, Matt, to answer your question, his empire was so vast that he was doing this. And then you could also, if you wanted to, Matt, you could look down there in chapter 10. And uh, starting in verse 26, he talks about his trading that Solomon was doing with other countries. And how he was trading horses, he was trading chariots, and he was bringing in gold. And in exchange for gold, he would do this. And just the economy that he was doing. So... So we don't know how much Hiram showed back up in chapter 10, but we do know that verse 13 of chapter 10, we go back, we return back to the subject of Queen of Sheba. So what did Solomon do? It says in verse 12, Miss Emma, that he had taken that almug wood and he built supports for the house of the Lord. But then it says in verse 13, And the king Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, Besides what was given to her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she returned and went back to her own land with her servants. Thus ends the story. But not the last time she's mentioned. Okay, so where else is she mentioned? Is this not referring to her Matthew twelve forty two? This was the whole reason I asked for this. Okay. So Matthew twelve forty two and Luke what? Uh, I don't know. There's another there's another cross reference in Luke, right? Yes. Where Jesus is talking about the sign of Jonah. So he is saying that he's connecting the reliability of the Old Testament. And that's what he's doing in those two is he is pointing back and saying, I am affirming and confirming the reliability of the Old Testament writings to show that they are both reliable and accurate. And so he references not only Jonah, but then he references Solomon when he had the conversation with Queen of Sheba. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. What else What else do we know about her? I still haven't figured her out. And I still haven't figured out why she came with all of these gifts so I, I think real similar to what Denise said. I mean, she's coming because the fame of Solomon had spread and either she's coming wanting information about who God is and she's wanting information about who this God is that is blessing. Because especially in that season, which if you're in your Bible reading right now, um, you would have been in Job chapter 21 this morning. And in Job chapter 21, the question that is being posed is... If you're right before God, then you're going to have success and health and wealth. And if you're not right before God, you're going to have pain and suffering and agony on my. So that's why Job's three friends so far in the story have accused Job of being wicked. Because they're saying, if you were not wicked, God wouldn't have done this to you. 
So in Job 21, Job is trying to make a defense and going, listen, you, you equate wealth with favor of God and sometimes bad things happen to people that God favors. It's kind of the gist of it. So I don't know um, if... I think maybe a little bit Levita that the woman said, hey, this guy um, is rich. His fame had reached all the way down there. And she said, you know what? I need a vacay and I'm going to head up there and go see him. I don't I don't know. I, I don't know how. It's hard for me to imagine those individuals that can just take off and travel whenever they want. Some of you, some of you, some of you retired people. I mean, it's just or like Butch Melrose. You know, he he flies, he flies as a private pilot for a family who has a private jet. And I will talk to Butch, and Butch will say, "Yeah, there's we you know we're we're flying twenty days this month. Where?" Oh, we fly here, fly there, fly there. So it's like I wake up in the morning. I'm like, hey, Jaylene, let's, let's just go to Phoenix. Okay. Hey, Butch, I need you to fly me to Phoenix. And then we fly. I just, that is foreign to me, that, that concept. Um, so I don't know if that is it where she just has so much wealth. And she is in such a prominent position. She can just travel where she wants and when she wants and how she wants. I don't know. In Chronicles, she, she actually told him, said, uh, the, the God delighted that Solomon said on, on the throne for the king of the Lord of God because your God loved Israel and established them forever as made a king over them and execute justice and righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the Part of what I struggle with is because I've heard her preach as she was godless, so that's why she was king. And like you, like you just don't get a. Well, it doesn't say simple, but then I hear it and it becomes less simple. Well, sometimes it. Sometimes you run into people. They start. They start adding to. They start placing their imagination. Or their suppositions, they start placing that in place of scripture, and that and that's that's a tendency. Just if you're if if somebody says you got a lecture on Queen of Sheba for two hours, go. What are you going to do? So I, I can I can understand where sometimes people take liberties, or sometimes people look at extra biblical sources and then they will use that as a um, authoritative type voice. But I. We know she came. We know she was looking at Solomon, and we know she was. We know she was wealthy. We knew that she was memorable enough that Jesus would reference her in the Gospels later on to look back to her. We know that when she showed up, she also brought favor and was pleasing to Solomon because it says in verse thirteen that he gave her whatever she wanted. So not only did she give him a bunch of gifts, but then she gave, he gave her a bunch of gifts, and then she left with whatever she wanted, which you know, when it says there in verse 13 he gave the Queen of Sheba all that she desired. So you mean you just look at the woman and say, you can have whatever you want. Whatever you want. Now we already talked about that Hiram had showed up in chapter 9, and he had brought with him over a billion dollars in our money worth of gold. Right? Well then you look down there, and look at verse 14. It says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents. 
Now you do the numbers on that, that is over $1.6 billion of just gold. And in that time and in that setting, spices were used as a commodity. Spices were used as a currency. So precious stones were used as a means of currency. So this is just in this in the idea of gold. So here's what I think about. I think about that she walks in and he says, whatever you want. Well, you know what? You come into my house and you say, and I say, you can have whatever you want in my house. That's one thing. You walk me into... Harbor Freight or Northern Tool (laughs) or you walk me into the Snap-on truck or you walk me into Walmart or you walk me into Sam's Club and you say, Spence, you can have whatever you want. I'm getting in your back pocket and I'm going to make it hurt. I'm going to make you regret telling me that. But, you know, because it's it's all relative to where you're at, right? So when when she walks in and Solomon just says, you can have whatever you want. You think about the amount of his wealth and the amount of his resources and the amount of stuff that he had. That is an open-ended conversation about what exactly she walked out with considering everything that he had. So... Yes, yes, yes. So, you get down to verse 23. There's another little aspect of that. It says, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Yes, sir. So, I got a question. Because in Sunday school, we were talking about numbers and stuff. And that's like 666 pounds of gold, right? Isn't that like, like the devil's number, right? I mean, so in Revelation, so in Revelation it says that's the number of the Antichrist. Right. Now is it a coincidence? I'm not saying that it's connected. I'm not saying because... And the reason I say that, Matt, is because I can't find anything in the text that says that it is connected to the number, the the mark of the beast, the number of the beast in Revelation. Is it the same number? Yes. But I don't want to say, oh yeah, it's connected or here's the connection just because of the fact that I can't prove it from Scripture. But yes, you you will recognize if you see that and you're like, why do I know that number? It's because later on in Revelation it's used as the mark of the beast. Yes, sir. Yeah. I have a question. Not necessarily a question, but a thought. My Bible says once he answered her, her, there was no more spirit in her. I wonder if maybe she didn't go down there thinking she was going to trap him up. Like sometimes when you're trying to witness to somebody and they're giving you all these, you know, gotcha questions. Uh If maybe that's what she didn't maybe start out with. And when he answered everything, she just couldn't fight it anymore. Like a woman trying to trick a guy? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kind of? Okay. Kind of? Kind of? I think so. I, I think that she might have gone saying, hey... Everybody says he's the smartest. I'll show you. Maybe she was going up there to expose him. Maybe she was going up there to prove him wrong. Maybe she was going up there. I I don't know. Yeah, it's very, very very possible. Yeah. Yes, sir. Wikipedia, if that's a reliable source, says that Ethiopia and Naaman are part of a kingdom called Saba. 
there was a time in history, so you have your different empires. So you will have the Assyrian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, and these empires occupy different spaces chronologically of time. So Seba was part that was part of an empire, Seba, but at different seasons of history. And what we're talking about. Yes, sir. That's that's what I understand, Steve. Now, like I said, I wasn't there, but I, that's that's what I understand. So even if you were to go back in some of your Old Testament maps or some of your maps of the Old Testament period, you would see down there in Yemen, you would see S-E-B-A, Seba, down there in that area. And I think if you were to go on Google Earth, even right now, you get down there on the left-hand side of Yemen, about central left-hand side, there is, I mean, of course it's written in Arabic, but then it's also the English translation, and it's a S-E-H-A, something like that. There's a, there's a town that is down there, a prominent town, that still carries that same connection. So, Alright, so let's think about some lessons. What lessons does she teach us? Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Alright. Seek wisdom. Any other ideas? Ask questions. Ask questions. Alright. Give honor. Give honor. So did she buy her way into this relationship? Money can do a lot. But she was after me, she would have. <laughs> same page. Why is Solomon the guy to go to? Anybody remember the story? His wisdom. Anybody remember where that comes from? In scripture. So if you flip back to 1 Kings chapter 3. Just, just so we're all, just so I don't want us to leave and just assume that we all remember the same setting. So if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3 and you look there in verse 5, the Bible says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and, at, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. So God comes to Solomon at night in a dream and says, this is your one genie in the bottle wish. What do you want? And Solomon answers. And down there in verse 9, he says, Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? And it says in verse 10, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So then what did God do? God said, Not only will I give you the wisdom that you asked for, but then I'm going to give you everything else. Verse 12, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So what does he do right there? God promises Solomon that because he was willing to ask for the right things, not only would Solomon be the wisest man that had ever and will ever live, but he was also going to be probably the richest man that had ever and will ever live. 
Why? Because of Solomon's willingness to ask for wisdom over riches. And so when we come back to chapter 10 and we're thinking about what are some lessons that we can learn. Yes, seek wisdom. Yes, um, fear God and, and, and pursue that. But we also understand that the reason she's coming up there is because of the blessings of God. The favor of God. Now I'm not saying that if God shows you more favor then you'll have more money. But every one of us in this room should desire the favor and the blessings of God. Every single one of us should desire the hand of God upon our lives in such a way that the people around us cannot help but notice that we have been with God. Everybody around us should be able to tell who we are serving and who we are walking with. When you think about Peter and John and they heal the lame beggar man, uh, what is this, Acts chapter 4, I think somewhere right in there, and they heal the lame beggar man and then they get in there in Solomon's portico and they're preaching. And then while they're preaching, here comes the religious soldiers, the religious leaders, they, uh, they arrest him and they haul him off and they put him in front of the religious council and it says as they're sitting there, they're looking at John and they're looking at Peter and they're looking at John and they recognize that the Bible says that they're un educated men but they had been with Jesus it's a good thing and that's why when I think about I mean there's a lesson there that I think she came to him not because of who he was but because of who he was used by God or who he was with God or who he was under the favor and the blessings of God. And so you see the the blessing of God comes. So she wasn't there because he had invented the wheel. She wasn't there because he had invented fire. She wasn't there because he had invented whatever. She was there because of God working through him. I think that's a tremendous opportunity to think about being used by God in such a way to make that big of an impact. Also that shows that that Solomon had in God. Yes. And so many times I feel like we don't put a hundred percent of our faith when we're asking for different things, you know. And I do believe God only gives us what we deserve when it's his time by all means, but then there's been times I've seen miracles happen just because of people on their knees praying to God right. and knowing that it would change things. So yes. I think his faith in God was a big part of that. Yeah. This would have if there were a godless nation or not, this would have had a huge impact on her own country. Yes. Yes. So I think you see the blessing of God on Solomon, and then you look at verse 6. I think there's another lesson about the curiosity when it comes to the hand of God. So it says in verse 6 that she comes to him because of his fame and the purported wisdom. So when the hand of God, or let me put it this way, when Solomon is being used by God in a mighty, faithful way, then the outside world wanted to come and see that hand at work. That's why I think sometimes we in the church today, we, we, we get our priorities out of whack. We think that we can draw a crowd by entertaining and by pleasing. 
We can draw a crowd. A circus draws a crowd. A traffic break draws a crowd. So it's not a matter of trying to draw a crowd. The question is, what are we trying to do? Are we here to draw a crowd or are we here to worship God? I, I, my conviction is, is that when the people of God get in the spirit of God and they are worshiping God, then people are going to want to come and see that because they're going to think what a peculiar thing that is to see that many people coming together, getting along, worshiping God. So I think you see the curiosity that comes in that is a good thing instead of a negative thing. So you see the blessing God, you see the curiosity. One last place. Go with me to Acts. So you're there in 1 Kings chapter 10. Go with me to Acts chapter 8. So Miss Denise touched on that about the idea that the Queen of Sheba comes up, she meets with Solomon. Let's say that she, uh, maybe she lived in Yemen, but she had some distant cousins in Ethiopia uh, that she went and visited. Or let's say she was from Egypt, went up there, um, decided to have a kid with Solomon because it doesn't tell us how long she was up there. But let's say that she comes back and she settles in Ethiopia and her that child becomes the beginning of the Ethiopian dynasty. Alright, so let's just... Let's just operate off the premise that what if she was, she came back and settled in the land of Ethiopia. Alright? I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying let's just, let's just do a thought experiment for a, minute, for a second. Alright, so you get to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, towards the end of, or towards the middle of the chapter, you come upon Philip and the what? Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian now, here is why my mind starts to trail. Okay? It does not say, please hear me, it does not say that he was connected directly to her. I cannot prove that from the text. But here's what I wonder. It says that, uh, verse 27, and he arose, I'm in Acts chapter 8, verse 27, and he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now you say, well, Spence, we were talking about the Queen of Sheba, and now you're talking about the Queen Candace. Well, you're also talking about different centuries. Alright? So, so let's, not, let's not assume that, well, this, this doesn't have a connection because it doesn't say Queen of Sheba. We're talking about several centuries later that this is happening. Here's my question. What if... Sheba comes up, understands for the first time who God is in the true, simple way. She is impacted and influenced by Solomon's faith, Solomon's relationship to the Lord. She goes back down to Ethiopia and then is a witness and a testimony to those people. And now you have generations of Ethiopians that are then growing up in Ethiopia to the point that you then have a man several centuries later that decides to make the trek from Ethiopia, which remember how many miles away we're talking? 1,500 miles? Alright, so we're talking 1,500 miles. So this dude, this dude, well, I don't know if you can call him a dude because he's a eunuch, but this this, this person, okay, so, they, I mean, you're making a 1,500 mile trip. Why? 
Why? It says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. It doesn't say that he came to do business. It wasn't saying that he come because he had gotten lost. It doesn't say that he was come to do something else. It said that he had come to worship. Why would you have somebody from Ethiopia making the trip all the way up here to worship if that person didn't have a strong sense of who God was? And where would that strong sense have come from? We don't know. But here's my thought. What if... What if Solomon, because in 1 Kings chapter 3, he asked for something that pleased God and it was given to him. And then later on in 1 Kings chapter 10, when she comes to him, instead of, rebu- instead of rebuking her or rebuffing her and saying, well, you're a woman, I don't got to talk to you. You're a foreigner, I don't got time for you. You're somebody that, I can't, that won't benefit me. You're bringing me 120 talents of gold. They just showed up with 400 talents yesterday. That's not anything. Go ahead. Take your carpet bags and get out of here. I mean, no. He took time to talk to her. He took time to answer every question that she had. He took time then to give her whatever she wanted for her journey and for the rest of her life. He was nothing but Christian in our terminology today. Nothing but Christian love, Christian hospitality, Christian service, Christian ministry, all of that. He did all of that. She leaves 1 Kings chapter 10 goes back down and what if that was the seed that then led to generations of Ethiopians that had an idea and an appreciation for God to now you end up with a eunuch who is on his way to Jerusalem but has stopped there because he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Why? Anybody know the significance of why he's in a chariot outside of Jerusalem reading the scroll of Isaiah? Because if you were a eunuch, you were not considered a full man. And if you were not a full man, you could not actually enter the court, the, the temple or even the courtyard to offer your sacrifices. So when you are not, when you're a eunuch, you got to go, you, you can't even get into the courtyard because of the ceremonial laws because you were considered to be um, less than, if you will. So, yes sir. How would they know if you're a eunuch? <laughs> Do they have a tattoo on them or something? Got mark their ears. I don't know. I don't know if the pitch of the voice. I don't know if a lack of beard. I, I don't know. I, I, I and I'm not trying to make a lot of. It. I don't know, Josh, how they would know. I mean, there's there was obviously something. So the scroll of Isaiah is talking about the the love that God will have even for the marginal and even for the less than perfect and even for the deformed or the less than that the love of God even covers them and that there will be a provision for them to eventually come into the kingdom of God. So if he's reading in Isaiah, he's reading going, you know what, there is going to be hope for me someday. Now I don't know if he left Ethiopia knew that he wouldn't get into the temple. I don't know if he knew that or if all of a sudden now he finds himself at the temple and they go no, you can't be here. But he has, um, if you think about it because it says up there in verse 26 that he's on the south road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So if you think about your map, you got Jerusalem up here. 
Mediterranean seas right here, Gaza is down there. So it makes sense that he maybe, maybe, maybe had gone up to Jerusalem. No, you can't show up here. Turned around, went down a little bit of south, was at a stopping area. And he's reading going, you know what? There will be a day that I will get in and be able to worship God the way I desire. And just in my mind, I just kind of wonder if it goes all the way back to that one act and that one deed and that one moment. It makes me wonder how many times there are one deeds, one acts, one moments in my life that may not pay off fruit today, may not come to fruition tomorrow. But what happens if it's a year, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road? There's some lessons, I think. Now, I can't, I can't prove that they're connected. I just, what if? What if? So, any other lessons you can think of? Well, I appreciate your time. I know I'm over time. I hope that uh, when you think about some of these things, they're not just static, boring stories. And there's always something. There's always something. And you can sit there and ponder and think about the Queen of Sheba and uh, maybe come up with some different gems. So, good to see you all. If I don't see you Friday night, if I don't see you Saturday, I hope to see you Sunday morning. Alright? Hope to see you there. Hope to see you in your place. Or maybe your place is taken and you got to find another place. But I hope to see you on uh, on Sunday morning. So, thank you all so much for your... Matt, would you be willing to close us in a word of prayer, sir? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.